Brownie was sleeping again on the living room sofa. By the way, finally ending up on the sofa is his usual and typical place most afternoons. Well, each day, fairly early in the afternoon, Brownie starts out in his favorite sunny spot on the living room floor. Then he moves very carefully to the sofa later in the day. I noticed him one day. I got down on my knees very quietly and carefully, and I very, very slowly crawled up to him nose to nose, which I've done several times, by the way. Each time I do this, he slightly opens his eyes, he sees my face in his face, and then he closes his eyes again as I gently pet him and I whisper to him. I don't wake him, I don't try to rouse him from his restful state, rather, I just let Brownie know he's loved and that he's safe. Brownie barely opens his eyes because he knows I'm not going to hurt him. Yes, I hug him, I speak to him softly, and I gently caress him. And because this is exactly what I do every time I approach Brownie, Brownie has learned to trust me. Brownie knows I want the best for him. And although he is sometimes when he can be a real pill and he's gently reprimanded, I might say gently and firmly reprimanded, he knows, without a doubt, that being with me and Wendy whenever and wherever will always be a safe place for him. Developing genuine trust over time with Brownie, I'm convinced, has been the key. A gentle, compassionate approach of mercy has sealed our trusting family relationship. I'm sharing with you today from the prophet Micah, the sixth chapter. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O oh, oh mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And just one verse from the prophet Hosea. For I desire mercy, not sacrifice and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. So ends our readings today, both of them from the Minor Prophets. Well, in only five months, Wendy and I have developed a rich, loving, and trusting relationship with our rescue dog, Brownie Bryant. And I think it all revolves around a relationship founded on love, acts of mercy, compassion, and trust. Indeed, in, the, in this new year, with so many problems and so many possibilities still before us, most people I know are still looking for a method, a recipe, a doable plan, a successful way to approach what lies ahead, whatever that is. I know recently as a church family, we have talked a lot about planning, about preparing, organizing, you know, the typical things that one might talk about during a new year. But we've also talked about accepting, accepting what is, 
and hoping for possible things. And even taking that hope and allowing God to turn it into expecting good things from God. Most of us know, however, that so much of life is still way beyond our control. I know for me that the hesitation to carefully plan anything these days still seems to be at the forefront of daily life. Let me say it again. An almost plaguing hesitation to carefully plan anything seems to be daily at the forefront of my mind. So I find myself drawn this week to inviting and challenging each one of us to put into practice God's way of mercy, love, caring, and compassion for all those within our reach. That said, I need to tell you I'm not exactly sure where this week's message came from because this is not the message I had planned. It may have been politically driven. After all, we in America have had a lot of political things going on in our lives, especially lately. The message could have been brought about by what I personally interpret to be a renewed sense of caring and compassion for others as a core value existing once again in the White House. I've seen and I have heard a true sense of mercy in our leaders in America, and even though it remains difficult to count on programs and plans and policies and procedures, you and I do have the tools to share compassion, acts of mercy and love with the world around us every day of our lives, regardless of who we come in contact with and regardless of any differences that we might have when it comes to politics, um, philosophies, and, and ways to deal with the world and society around us. So what do we know about the prophet Micah? And how does Micah the prophet fit into the biblical and historical landscape? And what can we possibly learn from him today? Well, I'm going to share with you a couple things here. It's kind of lengthy, but I'm only going to pick and choose. If you want to read the full text of uh, some of these quotes from uh, studylight.org, uh, and there are many, many commentaries on studylight.org. If you actually want to read them, go ahead and click on the text of the sermon, and you can download and read every word of this. Again, I'm going to skip around. A word about the author. The prophet Micah came from Morasheth Gath, around 20 miles southwest of Jerusalem near the border to the Philistines. Micah, now this is important. Micah lived and worked under the kings Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. This would have been in the 8th century. He was therefore a contemporary of Isaiah, Hosea, and Amos. And these guys are some of the, the, the most meaningful prophets, especially, especially they've become very meaningful uh, during 2020 and in this early part of 2021. In the land itself, Micah was troubled with problems such as formal worship, and I might want to add authentic worship of God, true fear of God, idolatry and the oppression of the people by the leadership, which, by the way, concerns all of the aforementioned prophets. Something that might be a little more important to us when it comes to remembering Micah, 
The scribes and the Pharisees at the time of the New Testament, they knew Micah's prophecy as well, and correctly referred to Micah 5 verse 2 to the Messiah King of Israel's place of birth. When the wise men from the east came to Jerusalem to worship the Lord Jesus, they went to Bethlehem according to what the scribes shared with them, which, by the way, was a quote right out of Micah, chapter 5. The words of the Lord Jesus himself, especially in the Gospel of Matthew, are so similar to the ones in Micah that we may well conclude that the Lord himself was thinking of Micah when he spoke, although he did not specifically mention Micah by name. The purpose of the writing? Many purposes. The major purpose was that Micah could see a lot of corruption and a lot of paganism in the world, that people were turning away from God, and that because of that, people were losing their way. Very typical of prophets in any day, for that matter. A word now from the biblical illustrator, and this word is specifically about what we're talking about today. It applies to mercy. Mercy signifies Christian charity in its largest sense. It includes everything which we mean by affection, benevolence, kindness, tenderness, mildness, meekness, patience, forgiveness, and by every other expression which implies goodwill to all people. What is the love of mercy? This is important. There's four points. And by the way, this language is a bit uh, archaic. It's dated. So hear that as I read these comments to you. What is it to love mercy? This is important for today's message. If you love mercy, you will break off your sins by righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Secondly, you will be merciful in all your intercourse with mankind. Thirdly, if you love mercy and you show it to others, you will crave mercy for yourself. And fourthly, if you love mercy, your walks will be walks of mercy, your visits will be visits of mercy, and your, in- your inquiries and your questions will be inquiries of mercy. You know, back to speaking for myself here. I truly love mercy. I seek mercy. I'm honestly trying to be more gentle and merciful in my daily relationships, and I'm convinced a genuine spirit of mercy is a really good thing, especially, especially when I'm on the receiving end of that mercy. But mercy in and of itself has been hard to come by of late. This is my opinion. In the last several weeks and months, especially in the political world, the political landscape of America, you might say, the deep divisions that exist in America today have been consistently, vividly, and painfully revealed. Intense rhetoric, unrest, demonstrations, and extremists in action, some of it deadly, unfortunately, has been the bedrock of the political, social, and ideological confrontations often Often, we all know this, they resulted in social networking shouting matches about who's right and who's wrong. 
Revenge, retaliation, choosing sides, standing one's ground, violent protests, and keeping those despots and minions in their rightful places has sometimes been couched in more civilized terms like defending the Constitution and even more diplomatic, especially by the press and you might even say politicians as, quote, reaching across the aisles. But any way you slice it, my friends, fierce, sometimes dangerous division has woefully become a trademark of supposedly making America great again. In my humble opinion, and again, I get to share my share with you my opinion because I happen to be the guy with the microphone this week. Genuine discussions about harmony, unity, compassion, healing, working together shoulder to shoulder as Americans, and being truly supportive of one another, especially during such a tragic time of loss in our life, all over the world, and especially in America. These qualities, these values have only recently crept into the chasms that still divide America. Because in my view, making making America great is not first and foremost about being grounded in principles and being right. Making America great. making America great again. I believe it begins with respect, with decency, and genuine concern for others that eventually, over time and practice, authentically seeking to be merciful, it grows into authentic daily demonstrations of compassion and acts of mercy for all people that are around us, whether we agree with them or not. Recently, I sensed and I experienced the presence and power of God's, God's brand of mercy where the genuine urgency and the desire to follow the example of Jesus of Nazareth far outweighed anyone's desire to make a stand for what they believed to be justice and truth. And by the way, Pastor John has given me permission to share this story with you. By now, many of you know about the weekend prayer conference calls. There are currently four groups. Those groups have been coming together for several months as early as last April. They come together to share their prayers with one another. They come together to support one another. These people from different walks of life, these people who sometimes agree but often disagree on how this nation should be one, run, one and run, you might say, each week they come together and support one another. Now, in Pastor John's prayer conference call, their group, each week, Pastor John gives them a question to think about and then to respond to the next week. This past week, the question was along the lines of managing the confluence, the mixture, the coming together of their political views with what they believe to be their Christian values and beliefs, the things that they have learned to live by each day from Jesus himself. In other words, the question was something like this. How do you sort through and decide on the right course of action when you reach the point where your politics and your religion seem to disagree? Pastor John then shared with me that although there exists a great divide politically within his group, all agreed that faithfully following Jesus would always take precedence in their lives. 
Pastor John was commenting on the Zoom meeting at Zoom. It's a, it's a visual communication device they use that on this Zoom visual experience, Pastor John said, here's all these people looking at each other and talking with each other about a uh, potentially very intense situation, not only in personal lives, but in our nation today. And Pastor John said this, you could see the love in the way people looked at each other. You could see the caring and compassion, and you could feel it and hear that love with which they treated one another. You know, there are others who regularly share acts of mercy. This time, and this example that I'm going to share with you is mostly with strangers. News sources in America of all political persuasions have repeatedly shared stories of immense sacrifice and acts of mercy being made by healthcare heroes where frontline medical staff took their last breath in the same unit in which they worked tirelessly to save the lives of others. Then there's what I find to be surprisingly creative and un- unbelievable charity-driven projects that are carried out by our kids, all the way from a community service-based food bank in Texas run by high schoolers. This was that group I shared about, oh, several weeks ago. All the way from high schoolers to a seven-year-old in Chicago who makes thousands of bracelets. And so far, so far, she's raised over $22,000 for needed uh, PPE, personal protection equipment for a local children's hospital. Okay, time out. Why should you and I incorporate acts of mercy into our daily lives? And when I share acts of mercy, authentic acts of mercy with someone, does it follow that I'm complicit with their beliefs, their viewpoints and actions in which I vehemently disagree? Do I often find myself wanting to be right while proving others to be obviously wrong? Is that where I find who I am? Is that where I find the person Jesus has called me to be? Think about it. Who will cast doubt on something we all know to be true? Genuine, honest acts of mercy grounded in love for one another will be what finally softens hearts and gradually opens ears. We all know disagreements will still exist. Philosophies and ideologies, politics, positions, beliefs, challenges, all these things will still have their place in America. That's what it means to be a democracy. People will sometimes reach across the aisles for the right reasons, and sometimes they'll reach across the aisles for all the wrong reasons. But our hope is that we will once again be held together, united, United by something we all want, whoever we are and whatever we believe. I mean, doesn't everyone want a hand that heals, strengthens, and nurtures life rather than a chokehold that hurts, divides, crushes, and kills? Think about it. Which hand would you want waking you from your afternoon nap? And wouldn't you agree? that you are much more willing to listen and cooperate with a gentle, caring touch than you are with a stranglehold that seeks to demean you and silence you altogether? 
acts of mercy. Acts of mercy. Yes, mercy. May mercy reign. May mercy rain down from the heavens and water the earth. And may mercy and a helping hand for all people be the new trademark of America. May mercy be the th- may mercy be the thickest thread in the fabric of American dreams. Dreams for unity and harmony. An America that authentically both seeks and genuinely demonstrates wholeness, freedom, grace, and mercy and healing for all people. Acts of mercy. Yes, mercy. O oh God, guided, shaped, and molded by your will and in your perfect timing, please make America great again by humbling her so much that she faithfully desires and genuinely shares acts of mercy. Amen and amen. May God bless America.